If you could turn in your Bibles, we're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 7 today. And as we're turning there, I'd like to apologize. You might have came here this morning on a false pretense. And that false pretense was when I dismissed last Sunday, I said that we'd be talking about Thanksgiving. Well, church, I lied. Um, the bottom line is I was trying to weigh what I had prepared for last Sunday and whether or not I should have preached it last Sunday. And clearly I decided not to, and I went a different direction. But I'm like, God, you know, I put a lot of work into this, and I'm pretty sure I heard from your Holy Spirit. And so what I did was I adjusted things. I moved things around. We can talk about Thanksgiving next Sunday. But um, this is our last message in this Sermon on the Mount series. And if you study the Sermon on the Mount, which it covers Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, you know that I could go many more weeks talking through the Sermon on the Mount. And instead, what I did was I, I chose to approach it from the perspective of Jesus is instructing us giving us an idea of who God's character is, who He is and who we should be. And do you know that within this section of Scripture that we're reading today contains the most quoted Scripture in our culture? So if you went back 20, 30 years, what was the most quoted Scripture out of the Bible? Anyone? I heard it. John 3.16. Do you know that common day, our culture, the most quoted verse, whether they realize they're quoting it or not, the most quoted verse is Matthew 7.1. Matthew 7.1. Do you guys know what Matthew 7.1 is? It's, do not judge lest ye be judged. Interesting that we go from God so loved the world to don't judge me. That's, that's what we have gone to. And so what I learned when thinking about that cultural shift is we got a real identity problem. We have a major identity problem. Now, one thing I know, none of us like being judged. In fact, often it's painful. Yet, think about it this way. We have to make judgment calls all the time. For instance, is this person capable of doing my taxes? That's a judgment call we have to make. Should, if you are in charge of your own business, should I hire or fire this person? Or, parents, you might be able to relate to this, do I trust this household enough to let my child stay there? Or is this someone I want to spend the rest of my life with? Those are judgment calls that we have to make on a regular basis. There was only one time in my life that I ever stood before a judge. I was 16 years old. I had had my driver's license about two months at the time. And it was a Sunday afternoon, and I was coming home from my friend's house because we, th that was when Sunday evening service was still a thing, and I had to get ready to go to Sunday evening service. And as I'm driving, the, there is this intersection where the 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 cross section has a yield sign and I don't have a yield sign and I start going and this this lady in this truck pulls right out in front of me and I sideswipe her well she yells at me and tells me how much it is my fault and then drives off <laughs> meanwhile um, my my truck was so jarred that the battery got disconnected I didn't know what all was going on so and, and I'd never been in an accident before in my life so I just moved my vehicle to the side, which is a no-no, by the way. Don't do that. But I moved my vehicle to the side, and this was a thing before cell phones were really popular, so I had to go knock on someone's door and ask them to use their phone. And then eventually the police came, and then, lo and behold, the woman I hit shows back up. And she starts explaining to the officer how it's all my fault. Now, I'm, I'm a 16-year-old kid. I... I I don't quite get yet how to defend myself. I've always been uh, taught to respect those who are older than me, and I'm, I'm looking at this lady and thinking, clearly she must know what she's doing. And um, next thing you know, our, our lives moved on, and we're trying to 
claim something on insurance so that we can get a new vehicle for me. And uh, one day, an officer shows up at my house giving me a subpoena for court. And I remember, like, right when I got that, I, I mean, I was, I was a nervous kid as it was, and then I get that, and all of a sudden, I'm freaking out, right? And so the day of court came, and we met my uh, court-appointed lawyer about two minutes, Dad, two minutes before, maybe one. Or, yeah, yeah, I, sorry, but, but I, I met that state attorney, like, less than a minute before I went. That's normal. Okay, so, anyways, so, yeah, I felt comfortable and confident, let me tell you. And so, we, we go in there, and I'm sitting there listening to her defend her position, or state her position, and then it came time for defense, and the officer was a witness. And I remember, I'm sitting there in court, and I'm getting angry just hearing her because I'm like, her, her stance makes no logical sense. She was saying that I was speeding and that she thought she could safely go through the yield and that I hit the side of her. Now, I want to tell you what kind of vehicle I had. I had an 88 Mazda B2000 that was a, a manual transmission. Not only was it a manual transmission, it was manual steering, Okay. So that was my truck, and I remember that officer getting up there, and the judge is asking for the officer's opinion. And he said, in no way could I see it being his fault, as he had stopped a block prior, and he was in a truck that, frankly, I couldn't get up to a high rate of speed in my squad car. And immediately, like, th there was a little bit of relief that came over me. Oh, thank you, Lord. And then finally, the judge gave his decision. And I remember him saying that she was ordered, her insurance would be ordered to take care of my vehicle, and he found me not at fault. And immediately, like, everything kind of washed away in an instance. And there's even more to that story, which I can share some other time. But I know that... Th those are rare occurrences going before a judge, but we do make daily judgments, but daily judgments are nothing compared to a legal proceeding. But we do deal with the court of public opinion regularly, don't we? So today what we're going to do is we're going to explore making the choice of how we are a part of that and whether or not we are to judge or not. You guys excited about this? Manufacture excitement, please, church. <laughs> Thank you. I feel so much better now. Um, Matthew chapter 7, let's look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word, and I realize even going through that, it doesn't help us find a great footing exactly. Do we judge? Don't we judge? Um, but Lord, I believe that as we study this and we dig deeper into what your son is saying, it, it brings clarity. And so, God, I pray that each and every one in this room, first and foremost, will be open to examining their own heart. And that, God, your Holy Spirit can minister today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this first section of Scripture I call making a judgment call. And there was this scenario that Jesus brought out in verse 2 that I found interesting when he says, the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. 
So I've got a question for you this morning. What measure do you want to be judged by? What measure do you want to be judged by? Ultimately, when we dive into verses 1 and 2, the question is not whether or not we should judge other people, but how we judge other people. Now, I don't know about you, but I cringe when someone says, I feel like you're judging me right now. Or says, you are judging them. But as believers, especially those who who really seek the truth, we should accept there is a standard by which we should judge. And so I want to talk about that. This I, I love making lists, and I found this list, and it's tremendous. Five ways Christians should judge. Okay? Five ways Christians should judge. The first one, and I really think you need to write this down, Christians must judge. It it is a part of who we are and what we should do. In 1 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says not to associate with sexually immoral people. That's a judgment call. And further says in verse 13, God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Another judgment call. See, what this is saying, if I could really break down, especially 1 Corinthians 5.13, what this is saying is that those who are on the outside, and I'm not talking about just the outside of these four walls, but outside of the body of Christ, we leave for God the judge. Are you guys listening to me? So you're catching this. So those who are outside of the body of Christ, we leave for God the judge. They don't understand God's standard. They don't don't know the truth. And so you can go on judging them, but here's the issue with that. They're only going to receive condemnation from you, and they're not going to be receiving at the time, especially if you are not careful with your words, they're not going to be receiving the conviction of the Holy Spirit by the words that you speak. See, that's God's job that's not yours. And so... We have this issue in our lives where we kind of want to hold everyone to our same standard. But what I learned is that there is a difference. There is a very, very distinct difference between those who are outside of the body of Christ and those who are inside the body of Christ. Okay? Because we as believers, I don't know about you, but I I definitely feel this way, that we as believers should receive discipline based off the standard that God has set. And so the, the, the issue becomes for us, we need to hold each other to that same standard. John 7, 24. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. The uh, New King James Version says, do not judge according to appearance, but with righteous judgment. Here's what I learned from this. Jesus wants us to judge, but check this out, but by the standard he has given through the word and not our own standard. Okay? So we might have some things that we feel is a part of our moral code that is well beyond Scripture. But what I learn when I read Scripture is we are all going to be judged according to it. So we shouldn't go beyond it. You guys hearing me? Okay, so the the next point that I want to make out of these five things, don't apply a double standard. So there are some who are quick to use Matthew 7.1 against someone. Maybe they don't understand the proper context of that verse, but we can then look at verse 2 that says the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. I don't know about you, but there's nothing more infuriating than someone that is, basically lives this lifestyle of do as I say, not as I do. It's good for you, but it might not apply to me. That's offensive, Right? That's offensive. So every measure by which you judge, know that you're going to be judged by that same measure. And it better be against the word of God. The next thing, and I believe that this is very important. Judge actions, not motives. 
You know, it is very difficult to judge someone's motives, and Christians can get into a heap of trouble for this, for, for judging based off motive, not on action. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39, tells us that God alone knows what is in every human's heart. So God alone does. I can't, I can't determine what is in your heart. You can't determine what is in my heart. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things. Check this out. The hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. I think we need to keep our judgments to what you and I can objectively discern. And that's people's actions. So you might be able to assume what someone else is thinking, but we should hold our opinions, church, to ourselves. Amen? We need to hold our opinions to ourselves because God is omniscient. We are not. He, he, he is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. We're not. Number four, confine judgments to matters that aren't disputable. In the Word of God, God gives us very clear moral boundaries. But there is also a freedom within those boundaries. For instance, God teaches sex outside of marriage is wrong, very clearly. But it doesn't say whether a dating couple can kiss. And I got news for you. When I was dating, that was almost like a requirement, right? Now, I, 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 have, I have even a cousin that her, and her, current, and, and her husband never even kissed until the day they got married, which is commendable. Doesn't work for me. Now, I look in Scripture, and neither one of us can make that issue of kissing an issue, Right? These are things that, that can't be disputed by Scripture. And I think we as believers also need to not get entangled in those kind of arguments. See, in these matters that are disputable, we should not judge each other. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 14, verses 2 through 4. <clears throat> it says, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Very clearly when I read that section of Scripture, it says that there are these things that we make disputable that, you know, we look at the Word of God and it's just that there, there's no basis for our arguments. We need to be careful because you may feel very strongly about your convictions, but here's the thing. If you want to honor God, you also honor your brothers and sisters in the church community despite our differences. I can look no forward to every time I've ever dieted. I am one of those that, like, I am legalistic in my dieting if I allow it to get there. And so I'm totally judging my wife when we'll go out to eat and she orders something that I would typically want, but I'm dieting, right? So I'm looking over at her and I'm angry at her by the standard of which I am trying to live. Now, you guys know, we all know that's not right, but we do it. That, that, that applies to so many things in our lives. We can't do it. Also, in five ways Christians judge, this is the last one, this is very important to me. Seek to restore. You know, in, in making judgments, we can tear people down so easy, right? But what if when we make our judgments, we're looking to restore them to God's intended purpose? Galatians 6, 1 through 2. 
says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, everyone say godly, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. You who are godly should forcefully and rightfully lead them on that path. Is that what I said? No, humbly and gently. Humbly and gently. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. So when we do make judgments, what we just learned is we should do it humbly, not to tear people down, but always with the goal of building them up. Otherwise, we become much like the religious people that was in Jesus' time called the Pharisees, who Jesus described in Matthew 23, 4. Check this out. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Very clearly stated, my job is to win people for the kingdom, not lose them. That's my goal. That should be our common goal. Now, at the very end of this section of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7, we read about carefully throwing your pearls. And he says, do not cast your pearls before swine. And all of us are thinking, who on earth cast pearls before swine? That's a, that's a really weird metaphor to use. But... Now that we know we are to judge, we are to judge appropriately. And I don't know about you, I want my efforts to be worth it. So if, if I am judging based off of wanting to see someone restored, I want to make it worth it. Here's what I've learned as a pastor. Holding others to a standard is messy, it's difficult, and most of the time it's pretty thankless work. And so that's what Jesus means when he says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. There is a man sitting in this room that taught me to minister to people who are fat. Make sure they're faithful, available, and teachable. And it is by that standard of you being fat, it is by that standard that I also look at who will receive anything that I have to say that might come off as judgmental. I want to know that they're going to receive what I have to say because my goal is always to restore them to the Word of God. You know, and what I learned is there, there are people who will potentially receive your words, and then there, there are people that very obviously won't. And if God, I, I want you to really write this to your heart. If God has given you the wisdom to judge, I believe that you'll have the discernment to know when, or, when you're wasting your time or not. Um, But take this and understand what I'm saying. You cannot be qualified to hold others accountable until you are equipped, you've been tested yourself, and you can also speak with truth and grace. Okay? You have to be full of both truth and grace. And that, that's according to John chapter 114. And the reason I refer, reference that is because truth and grace, what happens is they work in harmony with each other. And when you get one out of balance with the other, that's when it creates problems. For instance, if you lean heavy in one direction, say, say, lean too heavy in the truth direction, we risk being legalistic. And then if you lean too heavy in the grace direction, you, you risk watering down what grace is. You, you, you risk belittling grace, and then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ's sacrifice is meaningless, and we know that's not true. You have to be full of both, and it's an equal measure of both, truth and grace. The next thing that I want to talk about is the difference between splinters and logs. As we read in our initial passage, this is how can you point out the 
splinter in someone else's eye when you got a big old log in your own. And I have a knack for seeing people's flaws. You guys with me here? I, I, I have a, I'm really good at that. And I, I have been around people, though, and, and as much as I try and keep that to myself, I have been around people that had such a critical spirit that the moment I see them, I'm making sure I'm at the opposite end of that room. Right? I want to completely avoid them altogether. You know these people, right? The ones who, they can spot a flaw in something that we might see is completely flawless. They're out there. It, it reminds me of the standard of a food critic. Who has ever watched these food critic shows and you see them taste something and they're really breaking down every little minute detail of what they're eating? And I'm thinking, I, I just can't relate to this. Now, I have four little food critics in my house. Yeah, I, I didn't say five, so I can go home in good graces. Um, and the, the amazing thing about these four little food critics is they will inspect every little thing about that item that I prepared before they dare eat it. And guys, I, I am not puffing myself up right now. I can cook a ribeye to perfection. Let's do it. Um, and I will have three that don't want to touch it. But yet, there is this standard by which they have decided to deem what's good and what's not good, that there are these chicken nuggets that are shaped like dinosaurs. You guys know what I'm talking about? They're, these chicken nuggets that are shaped like dinosaurs. Now, those are perfect. Even though they didn't see the process where they ground the entire chicken down into a paste to make that little chicken, chicken nugget, and they used this metal thing to perfectly fit inside a ring that just happens to be shaped like a dinosaur, I guess. In their mind, that's perfect. Flawless. And I am in no way bitter. But... There are these types of people in our lives that we're always walking around glass when they're present. And we might personally avoid those who have a sharp tongue. And the most upsetting part about it all is those who are extremely critical, their flaws are evident. Their flaws are evident. And so we get upset by it. But the reality is, often we see issues with others before we see it in ourselves. Um, there are times when I think I have myself completely figured out, and my wife corrects that thinking, and then I learn something new about me. So uh, I, I need to look, you might not know what I mean, but sometimes our, our own flaws are obvious, right, when you look in the mirror. And then there are things that are hidden that we don't even realize we do regularly. And I, I didn't realize that until when Wendy and I went on to pastor in, in Illinois. I started senior pastoring at the age of 27. And we're there, and we're trying to think about how to best reach this community. Because if you are not a part of this community, I mean, you're as good as dog meat. And so here we are, outsiders that moved in, and we're trying to connect with these people who are pretty much closed to anyone who wasn't from there. And so we're brainstorming, and finally, I had a friend that was a Baptist pastor there in town, and we decided to, together, we were going to do a community garden, and then every, oh, every bit of the harvest of that garden was going to go toward the community. And so when I tackled that, I learned every little detail I could about gardening, and I went so overboard that we also had a garden at home, even though, and some of you guys are going to hear this, and you're going to think this is crazy, even though we had 40 tomato plants at the church... I needed more tomato plants at home. And so we, we had all this stuff going, and, and I learned about it, had no clue at the time how much work it took, but I worked hard on it that summer. I worked hard on it the next summer. And I remember as we were approaching the season when you start preparing for what you're going to plant, you start buying your seeds, I looked at Wendy and I said, I'm just not that into it this year. And she about had enough at that moment. She said, you do this with so many things. And I'm like, got this dumb look on my face, like, what are you talking about? 
I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, you go all in on something until you have mastered it, and then you discard it and you move on. And I'm like, what? And then next thing you know, it's like she'd been storing up a list, and then she started listing off things. And I'm like, guys, I was dead to rights. I was dead to rights. And at that moment, I realized, yeah, you're, you're kind of right. I, these are things that I didn't see in my own life. And so, yes, we ought to be careful when we point out each other's flaws. But oftentimes, there, there are things we don't see in our own lives. And so, yeah, your friend might have a speck in their eye, but you might have a log. Now, my log wasn't that big, right? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that big. But, church, we need to examine ourselves regularly. We need to do that. We need to be open to that. Because what we risk when we decide to lead, lead people along in the truth of the word of God and hold them to that standard and show them the right way, we risk being unqualified because of obvious problems in our own life. To even be qualified to help others, it is imperative that you go through the same tests. So if you want to examine others, you must be willing to be examined. You guys hear that? You need to be willing to be examined. Because others, here's what's going to happen. Others are going to put you under a microscope whether you want it or not. Now, when I was a youth pastor here, there are many stories, and I'm sure many late night phone calls with Pastor Morris on the phone with angry parents, perhaps. Because something that I did regularly was Challenges, disgusting challenges. And one of the disgusting challenges I did was I went to the Asian food store and we bought this fruit that I believe was cultivated in hell itself called durian. And it literally smells like death if you open it up. I'm not making it up. I mean, you can go out. My cousin is a missionary in Indonesia and her daughter eats it regularly and they treat it like a normal fruit. I don't get it. But anyway, so I bought this. But I had a rule or a code I lived by as the youth pastor that I wasn't going to make them eat anything or try anything that I wouldn't eat myself. And so there my dad and I are, standing in the kitchen at the church, and we're plugging our noses while we're eating this durian. And I'm going to tell you, it didn't taste all that bad. It tasted kind of like banana. But it smelled like death. Now, I use that as an example to say that, yeah, I made sure that whatever we did at that time, I mean, I have to be willing to do it if I'm going to have someone else do it. Now, here's the thing that we can learn about all this that we're discussing today. You've got to be willing to be examined before you can dare examine someone else. And so when we read what we first read in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. That's really what we're talking about here. What measure do you want to be judged by? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed to test the, or, excuse me, the test of genuine faith. Here's what we do, and, and we do this once a month when we partake of communion. You need to be open to the examination of the Holy Spirit. You need to be willing to sit there and say, God, I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. Reveal in my life the things that I do that are wrong. And you know what might hurt? He might use someone else to do it. He might use someone else to point out an issue in your life. You have to be open to God using other believers, God pouring out into you on his, through, through His Holy Spirit, revealing to you things that are wrong, and be open to the discipline of the Lord. Amen? Okay. Exams aren't easy. 
If we look at that 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it, it, it says, test ourselves. Those exams, they, they aren't easy, but they are designed to re reveal exactly where you are at. Okay? So, making this a regular practice in your life, it guards you from standing accused and being guilty because the ultimate goal for you and I is that one day we're going to be standing before our, our Creator, our Heavenly Father, the One who made the heavens and the earth and sent His Son to die for each one of us. We're going to be standing before Him, and I want to be standing before Him, not accused, but counted as righteous because I have claimed the blood of Jesus Christ over my life. That is the goal for you and I, church. Amen? Because here's what I know. God is the perfect judge. I am not a perfect judge. You are not a perfect judge. None of us are. And no one is more suitable to judge us than Jesus. There is no one more suitable. In, in my Sunday school class, we're going through the book of Hebrews right now. And it makes it clear that no one could accomplish what Jesus could. Think about it. Jesus was, he was fully God and he was fully man. So he experienced everything we did. He understands our temptations and what we go through, but he also understands God's perfection. He understands God's standard. And Jesus himself was perfect. He was without sin. So Jesus, being fully God and fully man, he has the ability to sympathize with our weakness. And he loved us and died for us. So if Jesus sympathizes with our weakness, we being sinners should sympathize with others. Amen? Check that out. That's so important. Because often, church, we get into these cultural wars and we, get, we, we clash over certain issues and we don't realize that we aren't sympathizing with others and what they're going through because we're so, so firm and grounded in our position, we don't realize that it took Jesus' sympathy to get up on the cross for us. And the thing about Jesus, no one could bridge the gap between God and man but him. And so now what Jesus does is he acts as the mediator between us and God, but what we learn in Scripture is he will also act as judge. Now, have you ever seen the photo of God and man painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel? I, I think it's an incredible statement of the truth of what man had, had chose to do. Because we chose sin, it separated us from God. And so here, here is man reaching out to God, God reaching out to man, but there's a clear gap. And what I envision, every time I think about that, I envision Jesus Christ coming along and he's got... God's hand in, in one hand and he's got our hand in the other. And Jesus Christ is bridging that gap. He is creating that relationship that we broke a long time ago. In Revelation 12.10, it tells us the accuser is going before God, accusing us day and night. So when I said, I don't want to stand before God one day and, and be accused, here, here is Jesus now playing the role of mediator as I reference and we talk about in my Hebrews class. Jesus is our mediator. And every time that Satan is there and he is accusing you and he's telling God, look at all the bad things that Aaron has done. And I will list them out. And meanwhile, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And every time that Satan accuses him, Jesus goes, no, no. And then points at the scars in his hands and his feet. He says, they're, they're covered by my blood. They're covered by my blood. And so what, what that creates is that creates us being able to not be accused because we are covered by the blood of Jesus because without the blood of Jesus, we could all stand there, be accused, and be found guilty. Are you guys hearing me? We could all be found guilty. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. It says, For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So here's a very real truth. 
one day, Jesus is going to return for his people. All this chaos, all this nonsense on earth is going to come to an end. And each and every one of us are going to be standing before the judge one day. And I could think about that moment that I was in that courtroom at the age of 16. Standing before that judge and nervous. Didn't know what was going to happen. Didn't know the outcome. Over a fender bender, guys. One day, you're going to be standing there. You've got to give an account for your entire life. But here's the great thing. 1 John 14, 8, or 4, 18, excuse me, says, perfect love casts out fear. One day I'm going to stand before the judge. I'm going to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm going to be standing there knowing that I have claimed the blood of Jesus over my life. And that it's in myself, within me, there is no right that I have to be standing there. None whatsoever. But it is because of the blood of Jesus Christ that I have every right to be standing there. And so I'm going to be standing there without fear because I'm going to be able to look at Christ and say, it is by you that I have every right to stand here. And within myself, I have none. Church, are you catching this? I have nothing to fear when I'm standing before the judgment seat of God because it's Christ, it's not me. But here's what I know. He didn't deserve to die for me. God chose this because he loves us. Because he loves us. And you see, if we are judged without knowing Christ, we're dead to rights. We're dead to all rights. John 3.18 uh, It says, For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. We're reinforcing that again. Acts 17, 31, and now John 3.18. Excuse me, no. Reverse that. Rewind that. Rewind that. Let's read that together. Sorry. I realized my thing got off in here. Let's read that together. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. Okay. You know what? I told you I'm not perfect, guys. Gosh. Because the last thing I know, and I accept, God is justice. God is justice, and He's going to have the final say. Psalm 89.14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Again, no one will be able to avoid judgment one day. God is going to have his justice. And each one of us is going to have to stand and give an account of our lives. And here's the thing. Lorraine, as I welcome you up front. You're not going to give an account for what Ken did. You're not going to be able to stand there and say, but God, you, you know, I, I realize you're pointing out all these flaws in my life, but this other person that I went to church with, no, they're, they're really bad. And God would say, hold on, we're not dealing with them, we're dealing with you. We're dealing with you. And then he's going to remind you of every time you've heard the truth. See, I know that God judges fairly. God judges in wisdom. And God knows our hearts and he has seen all things. And not only do I say God's judgment is fair, God's judgment is generous. It's generous, church, because we have an opportunity to stand there and claim freedom, claim that redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. So what I am telling you today is if you claim Jesus, if you choose to claim Jesus, you then walk in freedom by his death and his resurrection. If you claim Jesus, there is no condemnation. 
I know this church knows this next section of scripture really well. Romans 8 uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You and I have an opportunity today. Aren't, aren't you seeing that? To go before the, the judgment seat of God and stand there and not be condemned. And we can do that because of his son, Jesus Christ. There might be people within this room. Perhaps you have been judged by others and other Christians. Maybe it had some merit. Maybe it, maybe it didn't. Maybe it was, it was baseless. And so there are people that are walking in hurt from the church. They're walking in hurt from others that might have been mentors in their life, important people. First off, I want to be like Christ. So I got to trust and know that those around me, those who have my best interest, they want to build me up. They want to restore me. They don't want to tear me down. So that might take a little bit on your part to come to a place where you can realize that maybe, maybe it was an issue you had in your life and they were only trying to build you up. No, may, maybe they went about it the whole wrong way. But I'm telling you that we as believers, one, We've got a standard to live by. It's right here in the Word of God. And I want to one day be in eternity standing beside you. I want to be next to you. I want to be praising God with you. And so that's our goal, isn't it? That's our goal. And that's what really this is all about, church is that we are spurring one another on, moving everyone forward. But the most important to all this is that the only way that you can stand there without condemnation is claiming Jesus Christ over your life. And there's something amazing about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It has the ability to take away every sin where your past is checkered as it might be, you could now stand blameless in the eyes of God because of Jesus' sacrifice. He stood in my place. He stood in your place. And so you have the opportunity today to be set free from whatever it is that could cause you to be standing there condemned one day, all because of his son, Jesus Christ. So what I wanna do is I wanna give you an opportunity. I want everyone in here to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I believe that claiming Jesus Christ takes boldness. It's a life commitment. It's not an emotional decision only. It's a decision where you realize you are changing the course of your life. And changing it so that one day you reach the ultimate goal of eternity with Him. And I want to know if there's anyone in this room that says, Pastor, I, I have been risking too much. I have been engulfed in sin. I have not been following out after Christ the way I should. And I need to know. I, 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 I need to know that Christ covered my sin, so I choose to repent. And maybe right now you need to be open to the examination of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there are things in your life you don't even realize. But what I have learned is I have read scripture. Always be quick to repent. And here's the thing, that repentance, that, that doesn't mean go on and continue sinning. That means go and sin no more. So when you discover what God's word says and what his truth says, it's turning away from those things and following out after the standard that God has laid before us. Well, the only way we can be righteous is through Jesus. 
And so today I am asking you, if you recognize that your life doesn't line up with Christ or that you need to accept Christ today so that one day you too can stand, stand there blameless, you need to choose Christ today. And I'm asking you, if you are here and you need to choose Jesus, would you raise your hand? Is there anyone that here says, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life today? Bless God. Bless God. Today, what I want us to do, and I, I want to say that accepting Christ, there's, there's no magic formula to it. The Word of God says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But what I'm going to encourage you to do, for the sake of everyone watching online and everyone in this room, that if you are choosing Christ today or you've already chosen Christ, you are a believer in Christ, and that relationship is firm, that you would repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, I thank you for sending your son to live and die for me. Lord, I recognize today that I am a sinner who is in desperate need to claim your son and what he did for me. Please forgive me, Lord. Help me walk a new path, one that is of repentance and seeking righteousness. I praise you, God, for this work that you accomplished in me through your son, Jesus. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, this is the message the world needs to hear. We are tearing ourselves apart over a standard that is constantly evolving and changing in our culture. God's standard never changes. Aren't you thankful for that? You always know what He expects. You know what measure to live by. It's in His Word. It doesn't change. It stays the same forever. I'm so thankful for God.